each of you tonight. I'm glad that you're able to be here. We have this uh, privilege to worship God again in spirit and in truth. And tonight we have the privilege of opening our Bibles and studying the book of Daniel. So if you will, you can open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. That's where we will begin our study tonight. Now remember, as we studied last week in Daniel chapter 1, that in the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, came upon Jerusalem and, and they uh, seized the city. And that was about, I said, 606-605 B.C. Let's just call it 605, and that's going to make it a lot easier as we try to remember these dates. So let's say 605. It's, it's, it's right in there, 606, some say, some say 605. And so when you have that or in between, that means I get to choose. So tonight I'm going to choose 605. I may have said 606 last week, but we're going with 605. Now, it was at that time, as we learned in Daniel chapter 1, that when uh, the Babylonians came to the city of Jerusalem, they took away the seed royal. That was men like Daniel, Hanani, Azariah, Mishael. Uh, the king wanted the best of the best of the young men. And, of course, he took them back to Babylon, which was the capital of Babylonia, and there they would be trained in the ways of the Chaldeans, and then the king would use them to serve him. And so you remember how that when they went there and the king was wanted them to have the best of meats and the best of drinks and the best of everything, that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would uh, not defile himself and eat of the king's dainties. And so you remember the story how that uh, he was able to convince uh, the one that was over them to give him a trial for a, ten day, uh, for a few days. I forget exactly how many now, but at the end of that trial period, uh, he, the king found them ten times better than all the others that had been eating the king's meats and doing those things. And so, uh, again, we see that the focus in the book of Daniel, we want to keep your mind on this, the main point is superior king and superior kingdom. And that's what we saw in Daniel chapter 1. God's young men ate vegetables, basically, and water. And they were far superior in their knowledge, their wisdom, their understanding at the end of those three years, the, the whole testing period, than all the rest of the people who had eaten of the king's meat. And so again, we start seeing this superiority. God, his kingdom, his people. And so that's what you're going to see throughout the book of Daniel. Superior king and superior kingdom. We also talked about how that in 597 B.C., uh, the Babylonians uh, came again to Jerusalem. And on the second, what they call the second carry away or the second deportation, they took the skilled artisans, the craftsmen, and just so happens that the prophet Ezekiel was carried away with the, in the second carrying away. So Daniel is already there, 605. Ezekiel, about 597. And then they went back the third time, the Babylonians, and that was about 586. And when they went back the third time, they went back with the purpose of destroying the city, destroying the temple of God, and destroying the wall that was around the city. Also, as we study, keep this in mind. Three main prophets during this time, one Daniel, the other Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. Now, they were all prophesying. They were all receiving prophecies from God, word from God. Daniel was in the court because the king had him. So he was prophesying from the court. Ezekiel, he was with the captives that had been taken away. And so he was with a different group of people. He was not in the king's house. And then Jeremiah was prophesying, but he was in the homeland. He was not taken. He was left behind. And so God had all of his prophets preaching and prophesying and, 
and doing the things that he wanted them to do, and he had them in different locations. That's all by God's design. God works everything out. There's nothing that God doesn't know. There's nothing that he doesn't take care of. Okay, and so that's what was going on in chapter 1. We get to chapter 2 of Daniel. And beginning with verse 1, the Bible says, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep break from him. Nebuchadnezzar became the sole king of Babylonia in 605, after his father Nabopolassar died. This is important when you start trying to add all these dates up. It's important to know that prior to then, he was a co-regent king with his father. But he actually did not begin his sole reign, being the one king, until 605, and then he reigned until 562. There have, over the years, there have been many that have tried to discredit the book of Daniel because it is so exact. And the ones that, eat, that do believe it somewhat, they try to say that, it, that Daniel was written after the fact because it's so exact. But you always have critics that try to disprove the Word of God. And so if they come in here and they see these dates and they're like, oh, that can't be right. Well, there's always something that they overlook. And that is that Nebuchadnezzar reigned for a short time with his father before his father died. But if you start counting from when he actually began the, to be the sole king, the one king, it was 605. And so that's the period of time. So two years after he began his sole reign is when he was awakened from his sleep by dreams. We talked some before about dreams and visions, and no doubt God had place this dream, these dreams in Nebuchadnezzar's head uh, for a purpose. Now, verse 2 of Daniel 2. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream. And my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Well, this is not the first time that a king ever called for his wise men to interpret dreams or visions, things that he had seen. You remember over in Daniel chapter 5, we'll see this when we get there again, but in verse 7, there was a, another man that had another king, and actually he was a Babylonian king, Belshazzar. He was the king of Babylon. And you remember what he saw was the writing on the wall, the fingers of a man's hand, and he was so troubled that he began to shake which you can understand why, especially when you know what he was doing at that time with the vessels that came from the temple of God that Nebuchadnezzar had taken away to, to use and worship to his God. And here's this king, he's, he's having a party with it, with those items and uh, profaning them for sure. So King Belshazzar did this very same thing. Notice it says, the king cried aloud, to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And so that, that was really the, one of the purposes of having these so-called wise men to be there when the king needed them to give him the information that he needed. Now, I took a little bit of time to go and research and see what all these uh, different, uh, the functions of these different groups of people 
were. And so actually in Brother Rex Turner Sr.'s book on the book of Daniel, he has defined these. And so I'm going to give you his definition. Uh, magicians. He says, The magician sought by means of prescribed words and strange actions to influence people, whether kings or other authorities or audiences. In general, magicians had some crude knowledge of the laws of nature, which were not accessible to the people in general. And I guess that could still be true today. I see magicians on TV and they do things. They know something I don't know. Because they make that look so real and I know it's just an illusion. It's not, it's not really real, but they know some things I don't know and so they could deceive me if I would let them. But I just don't believe any of it. You have people that read your palms and horoscopes and things like that. Astrologers. He says about these folks, he said, the enchanters, and I think the um, American Standard may say enchanters here instead of astrologers, consisted of a body of persons who sought to influence others by charms and other such mediums. They demonstrated their powers through the means of charming snakes, fowls, and other animals. I know there are certain places you can touch an animal and and he'll play dead or, or go to sleep and things like that. I, I've seen men that quail hunt, uh, take a quail and stick his head under his wing and put him on the ground and he'll just stay right there. He won't go anywhere. And of course, we know when we studied the Old Testament, even old Pharaoh, you remember he had his magicians and he had his astrologers, his enchanters. And you remember how that they would, when um, Moses threw down the rod, it turned into a serpent. Well, they threw down theirs and they had serpents. So, but they, they, theirs was not miraculous. They, there was something there. I've heard people, I've read studies where they said that you can do something with a snake and he'll just freeze like a rod, be stiff. And so it's those kind of things it was, uh, that were being used by these men uh, to deceive people. Sorcerers. The sorcerers made a practice of consulting the mysterious, whether animal, human, divine, in order to determine a future course of action. I think there's people like that today that basically make decisions on how the wind's blowing or, you know, what they think uh, animal says or something. The Chaldeans. The Chaldeans taught in the Babylonian temple school. They consisted of those who had learning in the fields of astro astronomy, uh, also mathematics, and the associated theories of astrology and divinity, a divinate, divination. And so that's what Rex Turner says about each of these. Gives you some idea. I know what God says about them all. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 through 12, he says, When thou art come into the land... That the Lord, Moses is actually writing this, but it's God's word. Which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his, sons or his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or observers of time, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a counselor of familiar, a consulter of familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer, for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. And so all these things, all these people that the king was consulting trying to get his answers to uh, what he dreamed and what the dream meant, all of those people were actually abominations unto God. God was not pleased with any of those things that were taking place by them. Now, the Chaldeans spake or spoke in Syriac. Syriac. Um, Syriac is Aramaic. It's actually the language that the Syrians spoke. Not Assyrians, but the people of Syria. 
spoke uh, Syriac. And in the book of Daniel, starting with Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through Daniel 7, verse 26, the events are recorded in Aramaic language. Of course, you can imagine what people would try to do with that that want to discredit Daniel and the book of Daniel, but they can't do anything with it. You see, that is also known as the court language. So those in the court would speak Syriac, the court language. Now, in Daniel chapter, five, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone for me. If you will not make known unto me the dream, with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be a dunghill. But if ye show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. So the Chaldeans asked the king to tell them his dream. And he told them that he could not remember it. Now there's a lot of debate over whether or not the king could really remember his dream or if he could not remember his dream. Some say that he withheld his dream and just told them that because, of course, if they uh, tried to tell him what his dream was, he would know that they were lying. And, and there was no way without divine help that they could actually know what a person dreamed. But as I study this, I believe that the dream really left his mind. I know sometimes I dream, and when I have a dream, some I can remember a little bit the next day, and some I know I had a dream, but I can't remember what I dreamed. As you know, forgetting something is one of my uh, greatest talents, and so it would be easy to forget a dream. I believe he actually forgot his dream. But you know something else? Uh, if you forget a dream, when you start hearing, uh, you forget a thing, a person's name or something that happened, someone kind of jogs your memory, it comes back to you. All right, so I believe he actually forgot his dream. He didn't remember it. The dream, the king was so anxious to remember his dream and to know its meaning that he even threatened to cut the wise men up into pieces. This king was a, a ruthless fellow. He, he had some good qualities, but he meant business. And we'll see that as we continue to study him. He was a very serious type person, and he would do what he promised to do. And so he threatened to cut them up into pieces and to make their houses into really a garbage dump. That's what a dunghill is, a garbage pit. He also promised, though, to bless them if they showed him his dream and its meaning. And so it's like, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to destroy you if you don't show it to me, but if you do, I'm going to bless you for it. Now keep in mind the main point of this amazing book. Superior king, superior kingdom. Now the Babylonian king and many others are about to learn about superior knowledge that comes from a superior king. You know, he had already witnessed this before. You remember in chapter 1, verse 20? And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, that was Daniel and his three companions, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers which were in all his realm. Why was that the case? Because of the superior king. The superior king had given these young men superior knowledge, superior everything. So they excelled all the rest of Babylon by ten times. Not one or two or three, but ten times. Superior God. But Nebuchadnezzar was kind of a slow learner, if you will. He's going to get it, but it's going to take him a while, and he's going, to, he's going to do like Mike. He's going to learn the hard way, but he's going to learn before it's over with. Now, verse 7 of Daniel chapter 2. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that you will gain the time, would gain the time because ye see the thing is gone from me. 
But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me, till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. These wise men were nothing more than deceivers. They were liars, deceivers. And they are in deep trouble at this time. And they know it. They're kind of like we would say between the rock and the hard spot. They're in a corner. They have nowhere to go. The king has them over a barrel, so to speak. They've got to give the king his dream first before they can even think about making up lies and deceits. The king shows here that he already has some wisdom of his own. Especially if he did know the dream and withheld it. But he knew this. He knew if he told them the dream, they could come up with an interpretation. That would be the easy part because the king wouldn't know the interpretation. He would only know the dream. The king actually called this one exactly right. He knew if he could tell them his dream that they would make it make up in their minds a false interpretation. The Chaldeans were actually using what we call a stall tactic. You see, he says in these verses, till the time be changed. In other words, they were just stalling and stalling and stalling until the time be changed or until the king would have something else on his mind and forget all about having had that dream. Men, you can learn a lesson right there. Sometimes you need to stall a little while and hope your wife forgets about something she told you to do that you hadn't got done yet. Uh, chances are she won't forget, but and she will remind you. But you see what they're doing? They're just trying to stall. They're hoping that, you know what, this matter, it's a big matter right now. It's a big thing with the king. But the longer we can put this off and not actually try to take a stab at giving him what his dream is and really messing up, if we can stretch this out, who knows what's going to happen in the next week or day or even in the next few hours. That could be more important than the king's dream and take precedent over the dream. And then they might like, you know, get off the hook. But it's not going to happen that way. The king did not fall for it. He knew if they started telling him his dream that it would come back to his mind. And then he would have confidence in their interpretation that they would give. Verse 10 of Daniel 2. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. It's getting pretty hot in the kitchen, as we would say. They've got a king, and he is about to lose it. You remember what happened when Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down to the image? We'll see that in chapter 3. This king became, the Bible says, furious. You could see the expression on his face change. He meant business. He'd had enough. Well, he's had enough with these guys. He's already told them what he's going to do to them if they don't tell him what his dream is and give the interpretation. And they're just stalling, and now they're saying, King, listen, you're, you're asking too much of us. We will see that the Chaldeans were wrong because there was a man that could show the king's matter. 
Daniel will be able to because Daniel's God will reveal it to him. Remember in Daniel chapter 5 again, verse 11 and 12, where the king Belshazzar saw the writing on the wall? Remember what was said about Daniel? And they refer back to Daniel chapter 2, what's happening right here. It says in verse 11 of Daniel 5, There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians and astrologers, Chaldeans and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Here we find that God, later on in time, when this other king has a dream, they still are talking about what the God of Daniel did for Daniel back in Daniel chapter 2 when he saved his own life by the help of God and all the wise men by being able to answer the king and give him his dream. So these men that uh, the king has called before him that he has on the hot seat they have made their living off the king, claiming a lie, really, claiming to have powers that they did not have. They were deceivers that bewitched the people, even including the king. Makes me think of somebody over in Acts chapter 8 we study about from time to time. Verse 9 beginning, But there was a certain man called Simon, which before times in the same city used sorcery, that's in Samaria, and bewitched the people of Samaria, given out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. He had fooled the city. And to him they had regard, because for a long time he had, notice this, bewitched them with sorceries. He had tricked them. He deceived them, that's all. He didn't have any, any supernatural powers at all. That's why when he saw Philip doing, uh, performing miracles, the true power of God, he was converted to Christ. And of course the whole city saw that he had just been deceiving them. And so these so-called wise men had no right to claim that they could do that which was impossible for any man to do without the help of Almighty God. Now verse 12, Daniel 2. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. He'd had it. He was through with them. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time that he should show the king the interpretation. The king had a right to be angry with these wise men that could not help him when he needed them to help him. Now, Arioch, as the Bible says, is the captain of the king's guard. He's also known as the chief of the executioners. And known by some as the butcher man. You see what kind of guy we're talking about here. He's the man that the king says, 
you butcher them. You destroy them. And he's the captain of the, those that do that. When Ariok came for Daniel and his three companions to slay them with the other wise men, Daniel wisely wanted to know, hey, what's going on here? This, in my opinion, implies that Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego must not have been invited to the original meeting to reveal the king's dream and give the interpretation of it. Because it's like he doesn't know what's going on. He just knows he's fixed to be killed. And he, he doesn't know why. So he inquires. He wants to know, hey, what, what's going on here? Daniel demonstrated his faith when he asked the king for some time to get the interpretation of the king's dream. Just think about it. The king has already been riled up. He's called in all these Babylonians and all these wise men, and, and they're just stalling. They're giving him the runaround. They know they can't give the king what the king's asking. The king's threatening. The king's asked them again. They try to make excuses. They try to say he's asking too much. And by this time, the king's had enough. He says, just wipe them all out. Now Daniel says to the king, will you give me some time? <laughs> Can you imagine? This king is, he is on fire. And Daniel says, can you give me a little time? Well, you know, Daniel had great respect of uh, the king and all others because he was a man that deserved respect by the way he lived. So when Daniel went in before the king, he did not know for sure if the king would, he didn't know if the king would give him any time. You go into it before a king, he could just have your head cut off if you catch him on a bad day. Kings could do that back then. But he also didn't know for sure if God would give him the information that the king desired. But what I see in this is a man full of faith. Daniel could see in his mind God giving him the king's dream and the interpretation of the dream before it ever happened. You remember faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What faith allows a person to do is see the unseen. So here's, here is Daniel with this great courage. He goes before this king who is extremely angry, and he says, will you please give me a little bit of time, and I will give you your dream and the interpretation thereof, not knowing whether or not God was going to give it to him, but he could see by faith God giving him the king's dream. Daniel, like Noah, like Abraham, by faith could see the unseen. Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, They'd never seen rain. They'd never seen a flood. Moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. When God told Noah it was going to flood, build an ark, he got busy building the ark. He could see the flood come before he ever saw any rain. That's what faith will do for you. We've got to walk by faith and not by sight. In Hebrews 11, verse 17 and also 19, you know the story about Abraham and Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. When Abraham took that knife and he drew back, he could see himself before it ever happened, thrusting that knife in the chest of his young son, and then seeing God raise his son from the dead. Why? The verse in between that I didn't put there points out that God had made a promise that through, Abraham, through Isaac, his son, all nations be blessed. 
So if God allows him to take the life of his son, he's got to put life back in his son to be able to fulfill the promise that he'd already made to Abraham, that through Isaac all nations be blessed. That's faith. So Daniel was a man of great faith. He goes before this king. He knows what the consequences could be. But he has so much faith in his God that God is going to deliver him out of that situation. It's not the first time Daniel's ever done that, and it's not going to be the last time. He'll put God to the test. Verse 17, Daniel chapter 2. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. The word secret there just means mystery. We're talking about a mystery here. What, what, what was that king's dream, and what did that dream mean? It's a mystery. So Daniel went home, he and his companions, I'll guarantee you they had one of the most zealous prayer meetings that has ever been had. They put their heads together, and I'm sure they bowed their knees and they prayed to God Almighty that God would give them the dream of the king and give the interpretation thereof. They knew that God only could reveal the king's dream to them. No one else could. The king couldn't remember it. The king had not told the dream to anyone, so no one ever heard of the dream. Only God, superior king, God. God has always been in the business of answering the prayers of his faithful children. It was true then, and it's true now. You see, when we pray, God acts just as he did in the days of Daniel. But we've got to have the faith that Daniel had that when we pray, we've got to see our prayers being answered before they're ever answered. That's faith. That's what we learn from Daniel. Verse 19, Daniel chapter 2. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the, God, the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings. He setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hath given me wisdom and might, and hath made known unto me now what we desire of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. God revealed the dream and the interpretation to Daniel that night. Daniel blessed God. You know what that means? How are you going to bless God? What does God need from us? What that means is Daniel thanked God. That's what he did. He blessed him. He thanked him. And he had good reason to be thankful because his life and the lives of his three friends and of all the wise men of Babylon were on the line. Notice how Daniel praised his God and says things about him that cannot be said about any earthly king these are things that can only be said about the superior king notice how God is always in control sometimes people will ask me Mike how do you pray how do you how do we pray and I've told you this several times I just use a basic little short outline and I see it right here in Daniel's prayer you see what does Daniel do he, he praises God, he thanks God, and he makes his request known to God. That really makes up a prayer. Verse 24. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, 
whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Now Daniel goes to Arioch and he makes a plea for the wise men of Babylon. And he asked to be brought before the king to tell him his dream and the interpretation. It's interesting that Daniel was concerned to me for the lives of the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers. Why was he concerned about them? They were not concerned about him. They didn't care about Daniel. And they didn't care about Daniel's God. Why didn't Daniel just say, well, save me and my three friends and just go ahead and destroy the rest of these folks? They're wicked, sinful people. They're abominations unto God in the first place. You see, his compassion for the lost, he cared for them. Friend or foe, he cared for them. And he wanted their lives to be spared as well. When Arioch went before the king, notice what he said. He said, I have, I have, notice this, I have found a man. Don't you think he wanted something out of it? I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Wait a minute. Did he find Daniel or did Daniel find Arioch? I thought Daniel went to Arioch and said, take me before the king. Do you think Arioch wanted a feather or two put in his cap? Here's the king. He's all upset. Everybody's afraid of him. Nobody wants to be around him because they fear for their lives. And all of a sudden, here's this man that uh, comes forward and says, I can give that dream and the interpretation thereof. Arioch says, hey, king, look at me. Look what I've done. I have found you, man. Don't you know he wanted a pat on the back? Oh, he wanted in on it because it was something good. You know, most people do want in on something when it's good. But before then, he didn't want anything to do with it. But now he does. So there was a man that the Chaldeans had said did not exist. You remember Daniel 2, verse 10? The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Well, we see that certainly was not true. There was a man. And he did it more than one time for kings. Verse 26. We don't have but 49 verses, okay? So y'all just hang on. We'll get there before daylight. 26. Y'all ask for Daniel. Y'all going to get plenty of him, okay? The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen? And the interpretation thereof, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king doth, hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, show it unto the king? It's like Daniel's fixing to make a point. He's going to make it loud and clear. It's kind of like, we're looking at, okay, who's superior and who's inferior? Who's the greatest king? Look, it's like he's, he's almost being facetious, okay? Or sarcastic. He, he knows they cannot give the dream. He already knows that, but he's kind of jabbing the king just a little bit here. He's saying, look, your men couldn't do it? Well, it was obvious that the wise men and their gods, remember, you've got to link those together. The wise men had their gods. that the wise men and their gods in which the king had put his trust in were powerless in the king's matter. They just couldn't answer the king. Their gods couldn't answer the king. They couldn't answer the king. Verse 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Listen to this. Daniel, like all true wise men, make sure, made sure that the king knew that God, the superior king, was actually revealing the king's dream 
and giving him the interpretation. Daniel did not want to get in between God and the glory that rightfully belonged to him. Daniel does not take any of the credit. He wants the king to know that this information came from my God, Jehovah God. It's not me, it's God. He's making that point very, very clear. It's a bad, bad things happen to those who take upon themselves that which belongs to God. Example, I'll give you one. Actually, it's already up there. Remember Acts chapter 2? Remember King Herod? The, uh, Acts chapter 12, brother? King Herod? In verse 21, you remember the Bible says, And upon a certain day Herod arrayed in royal apparel, uh, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Why? Because he gave not God the glory. Folks, you don't want to ever come between God and what's rightfully His. Praise God for the things that we're able to accomplish through Him. But without God, we are just as powerless as the wise men of Babylon. And so was Daniel. Daniel knew that the power was of God, not of himself, and he wanted the king to know that. He's trying to make sure that God receives the glory and not man. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was primarily about what was going to happen in the latter days. That's what he said. Which refers to the Christian age. Just like Isaiah 2, 2. This shall come to pass in the last days, latter times, Christian age, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. What's he talking about there? First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul said to Timothy, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. What is the house of God that will be established in the last days? It's the church of Christ. Latter times, last days, last dispensation. Same thing with Joel 2, verse 28, where Joel said, And it shall come to pass afterward, watch this, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, Peter quotes Joel. And he says, but this in Acts 2 verse 16 and 17, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What? And it shall come to pass in the last days. Joel said afterward, Peter says the last days. Last dispensation of time. What's going to happen? God, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Then he goes on with that. It's the establishment of the church. The power of the Holy Ghost that came on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 in the last days. So this dream that he dreams is primarily about things that are going to happen in the last days. The latter times. As we find in scripture. I'm going to get a few, just a few more verses, and then I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to get one more little group. Thy dream, this is verse uh, 28, Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? Something's going to happen. And he that revealeth secret, that's God, maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for, uh, for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thine heart. No doubt that God put these dreams and visions in the minds of Nebuchadnezzar for a purpose. Again, the matters of the king would come to pass in the future. Daniel mentions that he was not the one that knew the dream, for without his God, he would be just like other men. The same thing was true with Peter and John. You remember? They gave beautiful 
when the lame man was healed? Remember in Acts chapter 3? In verse 12, 13, the Bible says, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand be here before you whole. And so, again, here's Peter and John, two great men. A great thing has happened. The man at Gate Beautiful was healed. The people, the, the, the crowd, looks to Peter and John as though they were the ones responsible. They say, wait a minute. We don't want y'all to understand this. Don't look at us as though we've done this by our power. This is God, the superior king. He's the one who's healed this lame man at Gate Beautiful. He's the one that gave the, the interpretation and the dream to Daniel. Not Daniel himself. Don't be like Herod. Be like Daniel. Be like Peter. Be like John. Let's make sure God gets the glory, that he gets the praise. Let's not be like those hypocrites that we read about in the days of Jesus who would do things just to be seen of men. Let's not be like that. Let's make sure that the things that we are able to accomplish by the grace of God, that we make sure he receives the glory for all that's done as we walk in this old world in these old feeble human bodies that we have. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become one. We hope that some of these lessons that we've learned from Daniel and his friends will be things that will help us where we can make uh, application in our own lives as we live from day to day. These things are written in the Bible for us. And we need to put them into practice. We need to walk like Daniel walked. We need to talk like Daniel talked. We need to have the faith that Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael had. Not fear the kings of this old world. Not fear the people of the land. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. As long as you're with God, you're on the winning side. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that are on the other side of the flood, or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Joshua said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He is the superior king. There's none other like him. And you know what? We have the privilege of being in his kingdom and being servants of his to be able to serve him to the best of our abilities. And he'll be there with us and for us and help us and take care of us and bless us. If you're here and you're not a Christian, won't you become one tonight by hearing the word of God, believing with all your heart Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of all your sins. Confess him before men to be the Son of God. Be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. Be faithful unto death, Revelation 2.10, and heaven will be your home. If you need to respond, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.